Hello, and welcome to a fairly sombre Geeking with Destination Venus this week. Uh, we do have a lot to cover. Uh, not all of it is sad, but we have to start with a piece of terrible news to have hit the comics community in the last couple of days. Uh, if you read comics, if you've been reading comics for any length of time, you will know who George Perez is. Um, if you don't, a little bit of explanation. Uh, Perez is genuinely one of the most influential comics artists of the last 40-odd years. Uh, his work on Teen Titans, Wonder Woman, Cat Crisis on Infinite Earths, and literally countless other uh, comics, real classics of the medium. He's been around forever. Uh, he retired in 2019 uh, because his health was failing and his eyesight was deteriorating, which is always uh, a problem for an artist. And so he left comics uh, to enjoy a retirement with his family, which is, you know, pretty normal thing to do. And he's, you know, still been around the convention circuit and that kind of thing. And it genuinely seemed as though he'd be a fixture forever. Until this week, when uh, he announced that... He has been diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer. Um, he made the announcement on his uh, Facebook page and said that basically the cancer has reached a point where it's not operable uh, and his life expectancy is now between six months to a year. Uh, he's been given the option of chemo or radiation therapy, but he's weighed up how much extra time that might give him and how much of that extra time he would be spending feeling terrible and spending time in hospitals and that kind of thing. And so he's decided to enjoy what time remains to him and let nature take its course. Now, what's remarkable about this is not that somebody from the comics community has had a terminal cancer diagnosis. Sadly, that still happens. Uh, cancer is becoming increasingly treatable and increasingly curable, but sometimes you can't do anything about it. That's the way things are. Now, what's remarkable is the incredible attitude that Perez has brought to what is you know, pretty much one of the worst pieces of news a human can receive. And also the reaction of the wider comics community. You'd expect the community to be supportive. Comics is that kind of place. Uh, but the massive outpouring of love, support and respect from both fans and fellow professionals has been an astonishing thing to see. It is really clear that everyone who knew Perez loved him. It is really clear that everyone who met him at a con or in the course of their professional comics life found him to be just an incredibly good, nice man. I, I haven't heard 
in 30 years of hanging around comics, I haven't heard a single negative story about Perez. And you know what? That is remarkable and a mark of what kind of a man this is. In a lot of ways, it is good that the community learns this news while there is still time for us to tell Perez how much his work has meant to us and how influential it's been and what a legacy he leaves behind. He will at least know that. Too often, people don't express how they feel about I was going to say about a comic creator, but actually this could apply to anybody. Um, People don't express how they feel about them until it's too late and they're writing an obituary or putting it in a eulogy. Being able to tell the person directly is a a comfort, I guess. Um, What more can we say? It's the worst possible news and our... Thoughts are with the Paris family at this very difficult time. Yeah, I mean, what else? What else do you say? And now it's hard to move on with the rest of the show because we had to put that first. But almost anything we follow with now is going to seem inappropriate. So we're just going to return you to our scheduled programming which is the final part, the third and final part of the conversation I had with the brilliant Shannon Kirkwood, the creator of the Tempest Red series of graphic novels. At the end of the last segment that we played last week, we had begun to talk about using things like Twitch to live stream creating art. And so I asked how... Social media can be helpful in pursuing an artistic career and which platforms Shannon preferred and used and whether she found them useful or not. Uh, And we'll pick up immediately after I ask that question. I'm they're quite important. Uh, but I have a lot of trouble managing them because it, it feels like you need more and more. And it takes a lot of time to put the work in to make them successful because a lot of them have like an algorithm going where you need to be posting a certain type of thing, a certain amount of time a week. And I only have so much mental capacity. And most of that is spent actually painting and then there's twitch which i only do three days a week because talking and social interaction can get quite exhausting for me and i can only really handle three days a week um so once you know that whole day of streaming is done my my brain is just completely shut down and i just want to sit on the couch with my switch i don't i don't want to update my twitter or my instagram or anything else it's just it's very difficult to keep up in a way that would make those particular platforms successful. Mm. Um, But they can be really beneficial. It's just finding the time and the, the mental fortitude (laughs) to work with them. Oh, 
Yeah, they can be challenging places. Mm-hmm. I mean, I with the shop, I I maintain a Facebook page, um, which is barely worth doing these days, actually. Oh yeah. Um, and we we're on we're we're obviously on Twitter because that's mm-hmm. how we've been talking, uh, <laughs> and we've got an Instagram. I've not ventured into into Twitch and TikTok. I think mostly because I don't really understand them. Oh, I know. Uh, uh, TikTok they, is is such a young young person's game. Like I tried it; it is it's very difficult for me to <laughs> to understand. Yeah, um, and I I think one of the things I've learned as a middle aged middle class white dude is nothing is more embarrassing than an old person trying to get in and be down with the kids. It, yeah. It, you you end up like that Steve Demi sketch where he turns up in the hospital with a, with <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. Hey, fellow kids. Um, <laughs> it it just doesn't work. Yeah. I think so. I, so I've steered clear. I and to be honest, I don't know what I put on Twitch or TikTok. Yeah. Um. I mean, I do. <laughs> I do video stuff for my website. Mm-hmm. You know, just talking through the latest comics releases and stuff. I can't really see that being exciting enough for TikTok. I mean, it could be. They have those, like, glittery filters. No, I could... you, you just, like, add the filters over and some music. Although I hear that um, when it comes to TikTok success, that you want to use the filters as little as possible. Don't let them go over the entire video, which is a, a weird thing, but apparently it makes a difference. Okay. <laughs> I will bear that in mind if I ever <laughs> venture onto TikTok. I know, same. And it's, it is genuinely, again, I'm speaking as an old person now, but it, it genuinely is dizzying how mm-hmm. quickly the social media platforms come and go. And they always seem like they're here forever yeah. until they're not. I mean, I'm old enough to remember MySpace. And, oh, yeah, rip and, MySpace. <laughs> and, and LiveJournal. Um, oh, I miss Live Journal. Me too. And it, it, <laughs> me for like for like the three years that I used it, it seemed like it, mm. it was going to be a constant. Like like when I was oh, ninety, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be still doing like a daily Live Journal update. <laughs> and then Facebook came oh. along, and for a while that seemed like it was like that was it. That was the default platform. Yeah, you know, that there'd be Facebook, and some trendy people would be on Twitter, but that was about it. And um, now, I mean. Facebook is the domain of old people shouting into the void, mostly. <laughs> um, Commenting and, on the Daily Mail. And, yeah, and, and Twitter. I mean, when I when I first took over the shop, which was, what, five years ago, if I put a post up on, on our Facebook page about a new release or our pick of the week or whatever, I'd be hitting 600 people wow. in, you know, in a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm lucky if I get 30 now. Oh, I know. It's, it's it's dismal. Everyone's gone. There's nobody left. Twitter, I think, may have a little more long- longevity just because it isn't run by Mark Zuckerberg and feels less evil. But um, <laughs> Instagram, at least the bit of Instagram I hang out on, is mostly people sharing art. And so that's mm-hmm. reasonably positive. I mean, I yeah. know there are many problems with Instagram, but they're not on the bit that I'm on. But Yeah, it, it's still fine. Yeah, I have to remember to keep doing reels at least once a week in order 
to have my post seen by my followers, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. It's been going downhill since Facebook bought it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it has. There you go. I refer you back to Zuckerberg being a Bond villain. <laughs> um, the lizard man. <laughs> Actually, we probably shouldn't say things like that. He'll probably say. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Zuck. I love you. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I guess that's – I don't – I guess Twitch and TikTok are probably going to go the same way eventually. Mm. And my problem with that is that they'll be replaced by something I understand even less well. Mm. I know Facebook gaming was is trying to like make its way into the Twitch market, I think. Oh, goodness. The, the biggest Twitch streamer at the time, Ninja, was bought by... Oh, I can't even remember. Mixer. It was Mixer. And then Mixer died. And then Facebook bought Ninja for their own like gaming section. So I guess they're trying to make a play for live streaming. But I honestly don't know how well that's going to go because Facebook is dying. I think so. And I, I think the problem that Facebook has is that it's still dominated by Mark Zuckerberg. And mm-hmm. whatever you think of Mark Zuckerberg... I don't think he really understands what people want from a social media platform. No, you kind of have to be human to he, understand well, human he values. He didn't create Facebook to be what it became. Mm. He created Facebook so that him and his friends could rate how hot girls were. Um, yeah, it's not that's nice. <laughs> why it's called Facebook. So it didn't have the best start. Yeah. And I think the direction he's going, I, I understand why somebody who didn't understand what people wanted from a social media platform would think that the metaverse was a good idea. What even is that? It's brilliant. It would be brilliant science fiction, but it's if he thinks that people are going to interact in virtual reality as a day-to-day thing. Oh no. They're not. If I, if I have to have a meeting with somebody on a different continent I'm not sure that doing it in VR is something that particularly interests me. I can do it over Zoom. Yeah. It's easier, and I don't have to wear a headset or gloves. Oh, yeah. I have mad motion sickness. I can I can barely play Fruit Ninja in VR. <laughs> and his, his vision that, you know, people will use it to play a virtual game of basketball with somebody on a different continent. I don't no, think no. technology's ever going to be there. Really? That's just just science fiction. And if you add to that, if I want to talk to somebody who's far away, as I am doing now, over Zoom, all I need is the laptop I've already got. If we were going to do this in VR, we would both have needed to invest in headsets and microphones and all of that stuff. Yeah, Mama doesn't have that kind of money. <laughs> and yeah, it's not cheap. And okay, it's gonna get to be cheaper, but it's not it's not gonna be something everyone can Yeah. So I don't I think his problem is that he read too much science fiction as a kid and he doesn't understand what it's like to not have any money. It it does come across that way, doesn't it's, it? He's been rich since he was a teenager pretty much. So I think he genuinely probably just doesn't understand that you can't just buy things when you want them. If yeah. You're most, if you're most people. Huh. Which is sad for him. Except I'm, um, I'm a little jealous. Yeah, and I'm, I'm finding it hard to have too. I much wish sympathy. I was that like removed from reality. Yeah, I'm finding it. I'm finding it hard to have too much sympathy because he's got more money <laughs> than I will ever see. Yeah. So you know, sucks to be him. 
But yeah, I do wonder where the social media thing is going to go. Mm-hmm. I hope that Twitch sticks around for at least a little bit longer. I'd really like to make Twitch partner someday, but who knows? The, oh. It's really difficult to climb the ranks as an artist. Like there's some amazing people on Twitch, amazing artists. Domo Stanton for one is one of my absolute favorites, but God, the like upper crust are all gamers and it's, it's very difficult to get to that level. Mm -hmm. You'll get there. I I sure hope so. I have every confidence. Thank you. Okay. We have been talking for an (laughs) hour and a half now wow and i did say at the start i don't want to trespass on too much of your day so we'll start thinking about wrapping things up okay before we do where can people find you if they're interested in seeing more of your work well all of these social media accounts that i was just complaining about are great (laughs) ways to find me yeah i was thinking Um, that was a good segue you see (laughs) um i am moon squid inc with a K across all social medias, um, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. Um, I even have a Facebook page, but that's pretty dead, as we mentioned before, so probably not there. And my website is moonsquid.ink, ink with a K again. I have all loads of cute things there. <laughs> I, I can attest to this. And links in the show notes, obviously. Um, oh, thank you. And I can... I can say I think that uh, Tempest Red will be available uh, from Destination Venus as well as off of the internet in the fairly near future. Are, are you stocked in other stores or is that um, not something I, you've explored yet? Uh, we are going to be approaching other stores that have um, indie sections and such. Uh, we had an earlier, the, the Patreon version of the first chapter of Tempest Red in the Manchester Traveling Man, but it didn't have an ISBN, um, and it is currently an outdated version. So the updated version is just you, my friend. Wow. You hit it here first, listeners. <laughs> That's a Destination Venus <laughs> exclusive. Um, but probably not for long. I, I can't imagine very many comic shops, apart from the ones that have no interest at all in indie books, uh, I can't imagine very many would turn away work as of the quality of Tempest Red. Um, oh, thank you. So well, I imagine that uh, yeah, if you smile, if you if you smile nicely, at Traveling Man, I can't imagine <laughs> they wouldn't want it. Um, <laughs> and now you've got an ISBN. Mm-hmm. There's 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 literally no reason for people to not stock it if it's good, and it is. So uh, I just need to learn how to sell. <laughs> good luck. Thank you. I'm gonna need it. Uh, you see, I don't think you do, really. I, I'm very fond of saying I'd rather be lucky than good, uh, but that's just because I'm not good. Um, you, oh, but luck plays such a huge part in it. It really important. does. It's important, but I think the better you are, the luckier you get. That's fair. You do you do get more eyes on your stuff, uh, the more like time and effort you put into your craft. And if if the images don't bring the eyes, then sometimes it's the words that do. So one way or the other, you just got to keep hustling, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, the, the look part is in your work going in front of somebody's eyeballs mm-hmm. at a time when they've got time to look at it properly and they have budget yeah. with which to buy it. That's the look bit. Mm-hmm. Actually getting in front of the eyeballs and them having the budget. Everything else yeah. depends on you being good mm-hmm. because 
if somebody has time and budget and your work goes in front of their eyeballs and it's rubbish, they will move on to the next thing while they've still got time and budget. Yeah. Um, so being lucky is important. Being good is more important, I would say. I see that. No, I, I, I see the merit in that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody gets to be in your position of having, you know, an actual book that's actually out there and able <laughs> for people to purchase and in stores and people are buying it at cons. That doesn't happen just because you're lucky. Oh, well, really, thank you. It really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. I know some people who are very, very good who are not lucky and who really should be, you know, mm-hmm. big names in the business. And they're not because they've never had the look. They've never quite managed to get their work in front of the right person at the right time. Mm-hmm. I also know a lot of people who aspire to work in comics, but mm-hmm. who frankly are not that great. Uh, some of them have high opinions of themselves, um, oh. but they're not that great. And they also haven't had their big break. And in at least a couple of occasions, it's not because they weren't lucky. Because mm. they have been seen by people who had the time and the budget to buy their work, but they passed yeah. it because it wasn't good. So being good isn't enough. Being lucky isn't enough. You kind of have to be both. But of the two, being good is more important because if you're not, you can't make use of the luck. That's true. That's true. That's the, a, a good, good friend of mine always makes the point that the various publishers in comics are not actually in business to make comics. They're in, oh. they're in business to make money. And <laughs> if they think that what you've got is good enough to make them money, they'll buy your stuff. Mm-hmm. Because this applies to retailers too. I mean, I'm not in business. To, I am in business. My business is selling comics. Yeah. But I'm not in business if I'm not making money. So that's true. Yeah. I'm not again. If something doesn't pass the reg test, if I don't like it, it's not coming in. Mm-hmm. It has to be good. Yeah. And I mean, we all, we got to make money. We got to get food. Absolutely. That's it. You know, I, it's been an extraordinarily difficult couple of years for, for retailers and creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm acutely aware that actually nobody owes me a living. It's not my God given right to own yeah. a bookshop. If I can't make it pay, I've got to do something else. Mm-hmm. So, oh God, we're going all Randian now. We <laughs> need to stop that. I mean, I I will caveat that by saying there's still no reason to do a job you hate. Yeah, but you do need to understand. I think I need to understand. This is something. I, this is a conversation I have to have with myself a lot. Uh, there is a difference between a business and a hobby, mm-hmm. and it's fine. If the thing you love doing is your hobby and you're funding it some other way. Yeah. But you do have to understand that that is what you're doing. Yeah. Monetizing everything that you like isn't always the smartest option, but monetizing some stuff that you like can be good. Absolutely. And and, and monetizing stuff that you like isn't always possible. Yeah. Because you may have very esoteric tastes and maybe you're the only one who likes it. (laughs) Um, I've certainly found that with some stuff that I've done. So yeah, I'm going off the point again. God, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> um, I think we've done the where can people find you thing. Yes. Um, and I'm going to cut, cut out about three minutes of the conversation we've just <laughs> That's okay. Because people, people don't need to hear me ramble about crap like that. Um, so I guess um, all that remains for me to do is thank you very much, Shannon, for coming onto the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. It's honestly, it's so nice to talk to another human being. 
Oh, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so, so much, uh, so much of this show, but also just my life in general over the last mm-hmm. year and a half has been not talking to people. Yeah. It's so crazy. I forgot that there were people behind all the usernames. Yeah. And actually one of the things <laughs> that weirded me out the most at Thought Bubble was people who weren't surrounded by a square frame. Hmm. It was like free range humans. It was very odd. I know. It it, it was genuinely the biggest crowd I'd been in since Thought Bubble 2019. And uh, it took a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, the brain fog was real on Saturday. It was crazy. But I'm glad that your first Thought Bubble experience was a positive one. I hope. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so good. I hope to see you there next year. Thank you, know, you. You too. Who knows? We may go crazy and have an actual conversation face to face in person. Don't be crazy. I, I know it seems it seems like a wild fantasy, but I know I, I understand that such a thing is actually possible. So. <laughs> you can't dream so high. You got to make it more realistic. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Sorry. Quite. Yeah. Now, aspiring to actual conversations—that's crazy. <laughs> I know. How dare you? Ah, and on that bombshell, I guess we'll <laughs> I guess we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute Thank you again. You. Thank you. It was absolutely wonderful. And there you have it, the final part of the conversation I had with Shannon Kirkwood from Moon Squid Inc. Links to her website and all of that kind of stuff. In the show notes, uh, hopefully links to her social medias as well, although you can just search for Moonsquid Inc. on any of the appropriate social media platforms. I would like to just thank Shannon one more time for coming on the show. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Obviously, some bits of it have been cut out, as you heard, but it is just such a pleasure to be able to talk to an artist who has so much passion for their work and who clearly just enjoys it so much. You know, it it's wonderful to speak to people who love what they do. As I said during that chat, um, Tempest Red is now available from Destination Venus. Uh, we are apparently the only UK comic store that has it at the moment. I'm sure that that will change. But if you can't get it from me, please do go and check out Shannon's website. Uh, links, as I said, in the show notes, and purchase it directly from her. It is a wonderful series. Uh, we only have chapters one and two available at the moment. Chapter three is in production as I speak. I am really looking forward to reading more of this incredible story set in this amazing fantasy world. It's It really is just brilliant. Ah, anyway... After opening with such a sad piece of news from the comic book community, uh, let's take a look at the wider geek world and see what's been happening in the world of geek this week. I really should have a jingle for that, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, I really should. Anyway, what is happening? Well, the big news, the very big news, is that Kevin Feige, 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 however that is pronounced, I've never really understood quite how I'm supposed to say that. Uh, but whatever you have, she's pronounced his last name. Our mate Kevin 
the bloke that runs the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the bloke that is ultimately in charge of what happens in Marvel TV shows, has said that, well, actually, what he said was that if Daredevil comes to the MCU, he will be played by Charlie Cox, who played Matt Murdock stroke Daredevil in the Netflix show of the same name. The Netflix show that honestly really brought Marvel characters to TV shaped screens in a really successful way for the first time in a long time. Now, that was widely reported, and I sh- put my hand up here. I shared articles reporting this through the shop's social media. Um, it was widely reported that Charlie Cox is confirmed as Daredevil in the MCU. That's not quite what Uncle Kev said, but for someone like him in his position to state something so categorically makes me think that there must have been conversations between Marvel and Charlie Cox, or at least Charlie Cox's people. And to be saying it and to then not clarify when people pick up the ball and run with it, saying Charlie Cox is confirmed, makes me think that something is coming. I note that we have a Hawkeye series at the moment. Kate Bishop is pretty much a Marvel street level hero. Yes, she's an Avenger, but she's pretty much the street level Avenger. And Daredevil is a street level hero. I'm not going to go so far as to say I actually think we're going to see a Daredevil cameo or a Matt Murdock cameo in the current Hawkeye show. I genuinely don't think that if they were going to do that, they'd have been able to keep it under wraps. But, you know, I'm just going to flag that as a possibility, at least. I think it's more likely we'll see Daredevil in a season two of something. But now, you see, that then opens up a whole can of worms, because if we say that, yep, the Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock stroke Daredevil is canon in the MCU, does that mean that the other actors who played other Marvel characters in Daredevil are also canon in the MCU? So could we perhaps see Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin in the MCU? I mean, Kingpin is a Daredevil villain, but he's also a Spider-Man villain. You know, could we see him on screen with Tom Holland, for example? And what about Karen Page or Foggy Nelson? Integral characters to who Daredevil is. Does that mean the same actors are going to play those characters in the MCU? Certainly, I can't see any reason to recast them if they're available, because they were brilliant too. And then we have the wider Netflix Marvel Universe. What about John Bernthal as the Punisher? I mean, 
yes, they could recast the Punisher. And, you know, maybe they won't want the Punisher anyway because he is kind of problematic for a Disney show. But then Disney is kind of putting the more adult content to one side. It's got Deadpool in his, his own little corner. So why should the Punisher be any different than that? And what about Luke Cage? Luke Cage was a fantastic character in the Netflix show, um, played by Mark Coulter. Or what about Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones? Although she has kind of indicated that she kind of is sort of done with that character. And so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. I mean, do we want to see Danny Rand back? Or is he redundant in an MCU that already has Shang-Chi? I mean, they work together beautifully in the comic. There could be some great interplay between them as characters. And it might be possible to kind of redeem the Iron Fist uh, from the rather not brilliant first season and a half. By the end of season two of Iron Fist, I was really genuinely getting into it, though. They were beginning to make some good storytelling decisions. So I'd quite like to see them get that chance. And of course, then... Then we have another problem, because let's say Charlie Cox and perhaps even other actors who've played Marvel characters in the Netflix shows, let's say they do reprise those characters in the MCU. Could Marvel accept what happened in the Netflix shows as canon? Or would they have to start again and redo the Daredevil origin and redo the Punisher origin and redo the Iron Fist origin and essentially tell that story over again? Or could they find some way to refer back to the Netflix stuff? Could they even do a deal with Netflix to get the Netflix shows onto Disney Plus? I don't know. I, I get the feeling there was no love lost between Marvel TV and Netflix in the end. But then again, they don't have to like each other. You know, a, a deal would be financial in nature. Netflix quite likes money. So if Marvel were able to use some of Disney's not inconsiderable financial resources to stuff Netflix's mouth with gold and take those series onto Disney Plus, I think that could happen. It's interesting. It's one of those things. It's one of those parts of media dealings that is fascinating from not just from a business point of view, but from a politics and a negotiation point of view. I mean, all we can do is watch this space, but it's going to be a very interesting space to watch. I mean, the likelihood still, actually, I think, is that nothing is going to happen. but. The possibility now is there. If you'd asked me six weeks ago, I'd have said there was no way that any of the Marvel characters from Netflix were going to make their way to Disney+. Plus. Now, it seems there is a way. And so all bets are kind of off. Certainly, um, there's a Daredevil director who has gone on record as saying there is at least confusion about whether the Netflix series could be canon, which is very definitely not a 
Now they're definitely not. It means, or at least it suggests, that conversations along those lines are at least happening at Marvel. And, yeah, it's intriguing. It really is intriguing. I'm going to be watching this one with a huge, huge amount of interest. And staying with Marvel, the latest trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home is out. And it's good. Although there are quite a lot of TV spots sitting out there. Uh, I heard somebody making a joke uh, a couple of days ago about there are so many TV spots for this film now. It's almost as though Sony are trying to release the movie word by word. Uh, You can have too much of a good thing, guys. Personally, I am now avoiding all of the trailers. I want to enjoy the movie when I get to go and see it without having seen half of it in little bits first. But then that's the completion of the trilogy. And that's a shame, because I really like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I do have my issues with the way the character of Peter Parker and the character of Spider-Man have been portrayed in the MCU. I think he's far too reliant on Stark tech. He's supposed to be a genius in his own right. And everything that he has right now seems to have been gifted to him by Iron Man. I hope, really hope, that we start to see some rope walking back from that. Tony Stark's gone now. Maybe we will get to see a slightly more independent Peter Parker. Except, of course, as I said, this is the final film of the trilogy, so maybe we won't. Except maybe we will, because uh, Sony producer Amy Pascal has announced that there will be further collaboration between Sony Pictures and Marvel Studio for a new Spider-Man trilogy starring Tom Holland. Woohoo! Um, to be clear, what she actually said uh, in an interview with Fandango was, this is not the last movie we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. She then says, we're thinking of this as three films, and now we're going on to the next three. So that very much feels like a confirmation that, yeah, Tom Holland on board another trilogy, making a total of six Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. That's kind of cool. Holland himself has been a little more cagey. Uh, He called Spider-Man No Way Home the end of a franchise, Um, but then said, if we were lucky enough to dive into these characters again, you'd be seeing a very different version. It would no longer be the Homecoming trilogy. Now, that's not a, we're not going to do it again. That's a, if we do it again, we're going to do it differently. And that, from my point of view, is great. I'd quite like to see a different side of Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I really do think he is an excellent Peter Parker and an excellent Spider-Man, which is a difficult thing to pull off. I think, and I've said this before, casting a dancer, somebody who is dance trained to be the web slinger, gives him the ability to have that kind of grace that I've always imagined Spidey to have in the comic books without needing to resort to CGI. You can do far more in camera if you've got somebody with um, Holland's dancing skills. So 
unequivocal good news, I would say. I'm very happy about this. Of course, we don't actually know it's actually true, but what can I tell you? It's as likely to be true as anything else, and actually probably more likely to be true than the Charlie Cox story. So, uh, again, I guess we just have to watch this space. Oh, and speaking of Spider-Man, I'm assuming by now that everyone's seen the trailer for the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse. If you haven't, it's in the show notes, and it is unutterably brilliant. So, it's been a good couple of weeks to be a Spidey fan. Really has. And since we're on the subject of news about the Marvel cinematic on-screen type stuff, Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Gotta be one of the more popular of the Avengers, particularly since Ragnarok. Um, And, you know, Fat Thor in Endgame. I know that was controversial, but I think it was controversial for the wrong reasons. His ride as the God of Thunder is officially coming to an end. He is Thor in the forthcoming Love and Thunder. But that is supposed to be where he steps off. Now, whether they're actually going to go down the comics route, and the plan is that Jane Foster will take over the power of Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or whether that's just going to be a thing for the film, I don't know. And I I don't know. Natalie Portman, prior to signing for Love and Thunder, had kind of said she was kind of done with Jane Foster. I don't know how keen she'd be to do, you know, a a series of movies as Thor. But then again, it's a very different proposition from being the love interest for the main character and being the main character. So who knows? With the right script, maybe, maybe, just maybe that might be a way to go. But of course, if they're going to go the comics accurate route and have Jane Foster taking on the power of Thor, then In the comics, Thor Odinson stuck around. He was the unworthy Thor. He had to give up the hammer because he was no longer worthy to lift it. And that would require the continued presence of Chris Hemworth. Or, I suppose, the recasting of the character. But you can't, can you? You can't recast Thor any more than you can recast Captain America or Iron Man. It's just not going to work. Not now. I mean, yes, they recast uh, the Hulk to bring in Mark Ruffalo, but that was when Edward Norton had only done one movie that, frankly, a lot of people didn't see. So, you know, the MCU was still young at that point. At this point, can anybody other than Hemsworth be Thor? At least for now. I don't. I kind of don't. I don't think so. So fortunate then that. Um, Chris Hemsworth has reiterated his desire to continue playing the Thunder God. Uh, In an interview with Today, uh, they asked him directly if he'd sign up for more Thor Thor films. Good Lord, that's difficult to say. And he said, and I'm quoting directly now, as long as they'll have me, I'll turn up, but I feel like they might be waning that kind of enthusiasm. Now, 
I don't know about that. That might have been a bit of a, come on, guys, let's have a conversation message directed at Marvel. Because as I stated in the chat with Shannon about a different company, Marvel aren't in the business to make movies and TV. They're in business to make money. And one of the ways they do that is to have actors playing characters that people want to see. And I think a lot of people want to keep seeing Chris Hemsworth as Thor. I know I do. And they've got to know that. So I, again, wouldn't be that surprised if Hemsworth were to reappear. Is he going to carry a movie on his own again? Probably not. I think Marvel feels it's time to move on from the Avengers phase of the MCU. But could we see him in cameos? Could we see him as a, as a, a support actor? If he would do it, yeah, I think we could. I think we could. And, you know, I'm excited by that. I'm probably more excited to see Jane Foster as Thor because that's something new. But, you know, you got to love me some, some Chris Hemsworth. So I'm really quite keen to see something come of this. But I think now is time to leave the geeky news there. We have spent an awful lot of time talking about Marvel. And honestly, not a lot of other stuff has come across my radar. So time, perhaps, to move on to something a little bit less fictional. Okay, so let's disappear off into space. Um, and our regular update on the James Webb Space Telescope. There is no news. They haven't dropped it. Nothing's broken. Launch is still set for the 22nd of December. So um, at this point, no news. Very definitely good news. Our fingers, we will keep crossed. And we will move on to something potentially a little bit weird, except it isn't, because it never is. But uh, China's U-2-2 rover, uh, which is currently wandering around on the far side of the moon, has discovered what is reported to be a cube-shaped object. Now, uh, links to the images from this in the show notes. Um, in fact, there might just be the images there. It's Basically, a square-looking thing in the distance, kind of, kind of on the horizon. Now, basically, a lot of people have picked this up and gone in the way that they often do with things like this on various celestial bodies, and gone the oh, this doesn't look like it's been formed naturally. Was it aliens? And do you know what? The answer to that question is always, and I mean always, nah. Uh, we don't know what it is. Uh, it's almost certainly not a cube. Uh, it may be uh, boulders uh, from uh, a meteor impact, or 
other such violent geological is, is a meteor impact a geological event? Did it be discovered? Did it be covered by geologists? I think, except of course it's not geo if it's on the moon. Um, selenologists, I suppose they'd be. I don't know. Um, it seems to be quite big. Um, it's been the photo has been taken from about eighty meters away. Uh, it was taken in November, and uh, the Chinese uh, space news agency uh, has referred to it as a mystery hut, which demonstrates that the Chinese have a much better sense of humour than they're often credited with. Um, fairly obviously, a strong interest has been expressed, and U two two is now expected to spend the next few days, uh, that's lunar days, that's two to three Earth months, uh, making its way towards the object to take a look. So there's likely to be updates over the next few weeks, and uh, it's, yeah, it's most likely to be a large boulder that's been excavated by an impact event of some kind. But hey, these things are always interesting and they do attract the attention of the mainstream media, although, again, often with nonsense stories about whether it may or may not be aliens. Just to reiterate, it's never aliens. It's never been aliens. It's never going to be aliens until the day it is. And that day will be a very interesting day. And finally, just before we move on, some news about another telescope that has, unlike James Webb, actually launch. Uh, today, as I record this, uh, on the 9th of December, just a few hours ago, the IXPE X-ray Space Telescope was launched on board a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. Um, now, IXPE is an X-ray telescope. Um, it's basically giving us a, a way of looking at X-rays, so particularly black holes uh, in space. Uh, black holes in space, of course they're in space. Where else are they going to be? Uh, the satellite itself, about the size of a refrigerator, it doesn't say what make. Uh, $214 million mission, so a lot cheaper than James Webb. And it's going to be looking at the physics behind black holes and neutron stars, which emit a lot of X-rays. Um, astronomers are really hoping that this will be a great new tool to probe into the history of the universe. It's got three identical telescopic instruments. Uh, it's going to be studying the polarization of light, meaning how light wave oscillates uh, relative to the direction of the wave, uh, from some of the universe's most dramatic cosmic sources. It's going to be a way that they can sort of investigate the structure of these bodies, and it's going to be some really, really interesting science, I think. Um, Obviously, there are other X-ray observing satellites up there, like Chandra, um, but it's just another tool at our disposal as we remotely explore this fascinating universe that we find ourselves living in. Uh, video of the launch is in the show notes, including the, lang the landing of the first stage of the SpaceX rocket, because that's always cool. It looks like something out of Thunderbirds. I know it's a really inefficient way of doing this. A parachute would work just as well, but would look less cool. And SpaceX doesn't do stuff that doesn't 
look cool. But it is more proof of how good a rocket the Falcon 9 is. We're into, what, 80 or uh, 20, 20 odd um, launches this year from SpaceX now. Um, it really is proving itself to be a very, very capable launch company. And, you know, I got to tell you, I got to walk back some things I said about SpaceX in its early days. Whatever you think about Elon Musk, and honestly, I don't think much, his company and the engineers and scientists that are producing these spacecraft are doing astonishing work. And you know what? When you're good, you're good. I don't have to like your boss to be impressed by your work, SpaceX. You are doing amazing stuff. Keep it up. And uh, on that good news story, we will wrap space for this week. And so, as time starts to get away with me, as time so often does, we've got just enough time to take a look at some of the comics that are out this week that I am really excited about. And we're going to start with Lunar Room from Vault Comics. Now, Vault, I've mentioned here as a publisher many, many times. Uh, this is uh, a gangster werewolf street fight kind of book. It's written by Danny Law with art by Gio Sposito and DJ Chavis uh, and letters by Andworld, who I presume is a company rather than a person. And what we've got is a woman called Cynthia Breaker, who once upon a time was a lot of things. She was an enforcer for a very powerful mage. She was a name that was feared on every street of Solar City. Most of all, she was a werewolf. Now, she's kind of none of those things. And trying to get over her past life and the things that she's had to give up. Zack Zero is a mage with their own kind of agenda. But right now, what they really need is protection. Normally, Cynthia wouldn't look twice at a shrimp like this. But... He may have the key to getting back something very important that she's lost. Herself. This is a great story. It's the reluctant bodyguard trope. She doesn't want to do this. She doesn't really like the client. But the rewards could be more than she could imagine. The characters are brilliantly drawn. Uh, the artwork is beautiful. Um, not quite cartoon, not quite realistic. The colouring is amazing. Uh, really, really imaginative use of colour. Very, very impressed by that. Uh, it is just huge fun. Just huge, huge fun. And do you know what? Could do with some of that. Pure fantasy, of course, but just, just a really good, engaging book. Out now uh, from Vault Comics. One of the best independent publishers coming out of America right now. It would be a shame to miss it. It really would. Also, out this week, a comic which is not at all what I was expecting 
but which has really piqued my interest. And that's Daisy Part 1. It's a five-issue series from Dark Horse Comics. Um, Story and art by Colin uh, Lorimer. uh, Colour by uh, Joanna LaFrenti and Anita Vu. uh, And uh, lettering by Jim Campbell. And it leans into a bit of scripture. Um, about rogue angels taking human wives and how their children were giants that essentially ate mankind. And the punishment that was meted out to those angels. And then we bounce forward to now. And a woman with a missing son, a long missing son, following a lead a phone tip-off in the town of Brymount, small town somewhere in America. And what happens when she goes to the sheriff and says, look, this is where the phone call came from. Can we go and see these people who may know something about my son? So they do. And she meets Daisy. And Daisy is a very unusual teenager. Daisy's father could be something even more unusual. Daisy, bearing in mind the whole thing about the giants, Daisy's really tall. Can't say any more than that because it would be a spoiler. But this is, again, a beautifully realised world. It's great storytelling. It's quite dark. Uh, the artwork reflects that. It's a very dark, very muted colour palette that's been used. And it's quite a, again, semi-realistic art style. But it's it's one of those first issues that you read and you kind of think, oh boy, oh, I need to know more about this. Um, all I can tell you is that if you read Daisy issue one, I find it inconceivable that you will not be clamouring for issue two. It's an amazing piece of work. I loved it utterly. And we've just got time to move on to Star Wars Crimson Rain, which I don't have a lot of time to talk about. I just want to say, basically, if you watched the movie Solo and you wanted to know about the character of Kira, this finally is going to tell you something else about the character of Kira who I think has been criminally underused. I would like to know a lot more about her as a character, about her rise to power in the criminal syndicate and so on. This series may be about to give that to us. I hope so. Uh, So, you know, look for all of these things on the Destination Venus social media to be picks of the week. Uh, I, I... thoroughly enjoyed all three books and I don't often enjoy the Star Wars spin-offs so you know take that as a recommendation such as it is but we are rapidly rapidly running out of time so we'll have to leave the comics there so that is about it for this week um huge thanks again to Shannon Kirkwood for coming on um no geek community uh, notice board this week because I've got nothing to report uh, the Geeking with Destination Venus show was recorded in Harrogate and engineered by me. We'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe, stay geeky. <laughs> <laughs>